Thank you, Phil. And um, if there are children here and you've got pens or things, um, this might help you understand the sermon a bit. If you think about or draw a mountain, that's, so that's one thing, a mountain, and then someone called the Lord at the top of it, someone called the Lord halfway through it, Moses at the bottom of it, so Moses, the Lord, the Lord, and then write this, would I go up the mountain? Okay? So there's a summary of Exodus 19. Mountain, Lord, Lord, you and Moses, would I go up? Okay? And I'll see your pictures later. <clears throat> What's the history of Christianity? For the next six hours, let's explore. I won't do that. I won't. I won't. <clears throat> Sounds like a big one. Uh, what's our religion really about here as you're tuning in from home? What's the purpose of being a Christian? Well, I googled uh, most impactful short speeches in world history, like summaries which really hammered home of what we're about and where we're going. And irritatingly, the internet only flagged up the last 200 years and usually to do with America. I'm sure someone said a speech before Americans did, but according to modern internet, the most impactful three speeches, top three. One happened in 1863. What was that? <clears throat> oh, stumped you. Well, that was the Gettysburg Address. Did you get that? So four minutes and 56, although I listened to someone do a rendition of it yesterday, and it was two minutes 48, so I don't know if Lincoln was slow or my one was fast, or I had bits missing. Another one, this is in America, 1814, a short but punchy speech which reverberated through the world history. What was that? Uh, well, that was Napoleon Bonaparte's farewell to the old guard after a failed attempt to conquer Russia. And that was their retreat speech. And then the third one, I couldn't believe it, 1939, no, it's not what you're thinking. Um, it was by a baseball player in Yankee Stadium in New York. Lou Gehrig's farewell speech. And we feel the reverberations to this day of that short speech. Life-changing. What rubbish! Well, Exodus 19 is a contender. Moses is writing here, sums up the history of Christianity and the world and you and me. And it took Phil what? Who was timing Phil? Three and a half minutes? And it's everything's in it that you need to know about life and death and the world to come and how to get right with God and what's the purpose of Christianity and has it ever changed? No. And does God change? No. And does the church change? No. And it's more impactful than Gettysburg and Yankee Stadium because this really involves everybody listening from the children who are drawing about it to the not-so-children who are also gathered here. Now, the ancient works of Moses, um, you may not be as familiar as his summary as the Lord Jesus' summary, which Jesus borrowed a few years after this when he said this. Jesus said, I am the way and the life. No one comes to God the Father except Rui, you know that one. Well, that's a summary of Exodus 19, where we see what that actually means. Um, and just to punch this home as we arrive at 19, which also sums up the history of Christianity, I'll ask some questions. What, and the children can shout out answers if they want. 
What would happen if I decided to leave this pulpit now and drive up to Buckingham Palace and ignore the front door and the person who might say I could go that way and I went through a window and I demanded to speak to the Queen? What would happen? I said the children, give them a chance, man. Yeah, it wouldn't go well for me, would it? Why? Well, I'm not invited. I went through the window instead of the front door. I'm disqualified. What would happen? Those people that look like tall microphones would probably shoot me, wouldn't they? With the big hats. Well, the history of Christianity teaches in a very similar way. There isn't one person here or listening at home that can just swan up to God, have a chat, demand a few things, put him right, put him straight, uh, go my own way to heaven through the side window. We can't do it. And that's the history of Christianity. It's one of the basics of everything that's ever been taught. You cannot be friends with God on your terms and just approach willy-nilly. There's too much power for us to handle because we have sin. And the children know that. They see it in the playgrounds. They see it in their own lives. They find it difficult to listen to mum and dad. And mum and dad find the same problems with themselves. There's too much. There's too much glory with God for us to just swan in and not expect to be evaporated and burned up. There's nothing to earth the glory of God and to make it safe. It would be like putting your fingers in an electricity socket. Children, if you do that, it's very dangerous and it ends badly. That's why we don't do it. And here's a chat that my one friend had with another friend which sums up this problem. My one friend said to his friend, is there a heaven, do you think? And he said, yeah, I think there probably is. And then my friend said, well, what would it be like? And the other person said, well, it would be perfect, wonderful. And so my friend said to him, well, how are you going to be there then? And he went, oh, yeah, I'd spoil it. Wouldn't he? Wouldn't we? And so the history of Christianity is also this. We're disqualified and we've got problems and we can't do what we're supposed to do and we let God down and we sin against each other and against Him, but He loves people so much and He loves the children and the adults that He sends someone to fix the problem. Uh, the go-between, the middleman who makes the Father in heaven safe, who sorts the problem, a son who shares his family status with orphans who don't necessarily know God as Father. And he removes their sin so that everybody can come to know God this morning and enter glory when they die. A man to earth the power of God and make it safe. And the children will tell you who that person's name is, and it begins with a J. And they'll say, Jesus he reveals God in a way that doesn't kill us and evaporate us. And here's why it's important today, before we even get to Exodus 19. Because every time we turn on the news, or the children go to school and come home, we realize that no educational program or political system is fixing our problem. Is it? We're as bad today as we've ever been. There's something still off with us. And the other things aren't fixing it that we're trying. It's like we're trying to get into heaven through the side window. It's not working. And so we need to go through a different door. And that's the history of Christianity. 
And just to make sure we all get it, the Holy Spirit prompted Moses to say all that in Exodus chapter 19. And in Exodus chapter 19, the ancient church, they've left Egypt. They're free from slavery. That's why we've got that picture, children. And they've arrived to meet God at a mountain, and it's taken them two months. And Exodus 19 to 24 covers a period of three days. And as ever, the fixer, the Son of God, the divine angel, the Lord Jesus, the sent one, he's leading the church to introduce people to his Father. And they've been talking to him, and they see him. God sent him to be seen. And you can see him talking to the church in Genesis 12 and 17 and 18 and 26 and 35 and 35 and Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4. There's this seed one and he walks in front of them sometimes and other times when it's dangerous at the back. It says he goes to the back and, and there he is. And one of my initial questions was this. What's the point of Christianity? What, in the history of Christianity, what is the point? Why people at home, am I asking you, well I will be in a minute, to come to be Christians? And come to meet God. Why? Well, what's the answer? You take five seconds and think what you might answer to that question. What's the point of Christianity? Why are you a Christian? You take five seconds and have a think. Have you ever asked this? Well, what's the point of sins being forgiven? I quite like sinning. What's better than that if I'm going to say no to that world? What's better? What have we got that's better? What's the point? In the history of Christianity, what, what is it? What's it always been? Well, the seen Lord is leading them to meet the unseen one up there on the mountain. To know him and to hear him and to come alive. And I mean really alive. Way more than sins make us think we're alive. That stuff's a killer. No, no, they've come to hear his voice. Jesus has been leading them in the Old Testament along the way. Because the Bible says when you get to know God, children, you become alive, really alive and full of hope and peace and joy and happiness. And, and they're being taken there. If you don't meet God and you're just following rules, it's like you're in someone's house trying to behave, but you've never met the parents of the house. It's like you're someone's child keeping the rules in the house but you've never met mum or dad. It wouldn't that be strange? So the history of Christianity is Jesus leads people to meet his father. And then we're on the right track. So church is on the way. And Moses speaks about this sermon in Deuteronomy 4. And he says this, No form of any kind was seen from the father on the mountain or from the God on the mountain. So the one up there, He's like a spirit form. Different to this one down here that we can see and talk to. You're like, why is there two gods in one chapter? Well, hold on. Because I just want to speak um, a little bit on the side here. Because there's a really interesting bit in Exodus 19. What happens to church members when they meet and hear God? And it's going to happen in a minute. What happens? And it happens then and it happens now. Because the history of Christianity has always been the same. What happens? Well, people come alive. I've already said that, but listen to this bit. Other people become alive as well. And that's a massive part of God's rescue plan for your friends who aren't Christians. When church comes alive, other people start going, huh, 
What's happening in Park End Church? They're different. It's like they've met God. They're just different. And here it is in verse 3. This is the angel of the Lord reminding Moses about what he's done for him, and then he talks about meeting the other Lord. Ready? Here's verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, so that's one person called God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the church down there. Tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. This is the angel talking now. And how I carried you on angel's wing, eagle's wings and brought you out myself. Then have a look at verse 6. Why? You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Because in a minute, we're going to meet the other Lord in three days' time. So, Christians here, what's the history of Christianity? Why are you a Christian? Oh, yes, to meet God, but also to help save other people. God uses church members like us as priests, middlemen. We're like little mini versions of Jesus. And if you're a Christian, your job is to know God and then be a little signpost for Jesus so your friends can go and meet Jesus, the proper big priest, and he'll teach them all about the Father, and they'll come alive as well. People go, wow, there's something about Park End Church. Some people will go, I hate Park End Church. But other people will go, wow, those Christians, they've got something. See, there are lots of people, children, they watch things on TV that they're not supposed to, and they can't help it. Other people betray their friends and their marriage partners. Other people are proud. Other people tell lies, children. Other people steal benefits from the government when they shouldn't. Other people are selfish and fakers and pretenders and bullies and frauds. and They need to be fixed. And so, God's plan is when the church gets serious about God, things change and those people can be fixed and nowhere to go to hear about the fixer. And it's right there in verse 3 and 6. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. Did you know, Christians, you bear Christ's name, Christian. It's not Ian's name we carry. That's the wrong bit of the word. It's Christ's. Lots of churches as if they carry Ian's name. You don't hear much about Christ and they don't look much like Christ, but it's Christian. We need to remember the first bit. Many priests point us to Jesus in the way we speak and the way that we live in the playground, in the football team, at home, at lunch, after this. One of the best questions you can ever ask your friends is this. Would you like to come to church with me? Or when they say on Monday, what did you do on the weekend? You could say, I went to church. Oh, what did you learn about there? The priest. The priest Jesus. And how he led the church to really come alive. Now some of you are thinking, well my church isn't like that. Mine's a bit rubbish. It's a bit of a headache. The history of Christianity, they used to have wonderful churches. But my one here, it's a source of a headache. I'm glad you noticed and I'm glad you're thinking that. Because in verse 8, that's always been part of the history of Christianity at all. And we're to have a realistic view of church. Let me just reread verse 8 because it makes me chuckle. But also cry. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Yeah. And then you turn the page and they're worshipping a giant cow and killing each other. So that one lasted about three minutes. 
And the reason we're telling you that is because church in the history has people in it who hurt each other. But it's still glorious. And we still stick with it. Don't we? We don't give up on each other when things get hard. And our job is to say in all of this, I will be like Christ, not Ian. Like Christ, I will stick and be good to my friends in difficult times. When we all meet together and we go, we will do everything the Lord says. And on Monday, there's another headache. We still stick. Because Christianity in its history wins never because of the players, but because of the captain. Jesus. And that's it. I read in John's Gospel the other day, the Jews said to Jesus, you're not even 50 years old yet. How can you claim you're older than Abraham? You're not even 50. He was about 33. Isn't that interesting? A 30, what makes a 33-year-old look 50? So they go, oh, you're not even 50. You're probably late 40s. You're 33. Do you know what? Hanging around with church family. It's just a headache a lot of the time. Jesus' disciples, he was really aged. But it's glorious. And Jesus sticks with people like us. And we stick with each other. And then for the last part, we come to the crescendo of the history of Christianity. So the angel has led them. He said, you're going to be priests when you meet my father up there. And uh, I'm leading you and you're all going to say you're on board and it's going to be wonderful. And then it comes to a tragic crescendo in the history of Christianity and in the world. And Moses in verse 10 and 11, he's speaking to God. And God says on the third day, God is going to arrive and come down on Mount Sinai. Now, a side word. If you are a Unitarian, if you're a Muslim or a Jehovah's Witness or you're Jewish, you have to grapple with this. There's one person called the Lord halfway up and there's another one coming and that's just two. There's a third one in surrounding chapters as well. The living God is three persons and one God. And a huge tragedy is about to happen. And in verses 12 and 13, they put off limits to get ready for the Father who's coming and going to bring them all to life. And the tragedy happens. And you see it today, because Christianity's never changed and the history's never changed in this area. You see it outside. We sometimes see it in our hearts. It's happening then and it happens now and it'll happen tomorrow if the Lord tarries. And it's a tragedy. And 155,000 people will die today. And a lot of them will still get this issue wrong and it will be tragic for them because they'll try and get through the side window and be shot away from the walls of heaven because they're not coming the right way because they haven't learned from this tragedy which is in Exodus chapter 19. And in verse 18, the mountain gets covered with smoke and the Lord descends upon it with billowing smoke. Children, can you draw that? Smoke on the top of the mountains and fire. And the mountain is shaking because we're not playing around with the living God. And are you ready for the tragedy? Well, hold on because I want to say something cool before I get there. It'll only take a minute. You may cover this in house groups, but this is amazing. Moses goes up. And in Deuteronomy 4:36 and Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 13, we're told that the Lord up there spoke from heaven. And Moses saw and heard it when he was up there. 
And it's if, just for that moment in history, heaven and the top of Mount Sinai become one. And Moses is peering in to this world to come. What an image. I couldn't let that go. And he's actually told to come back down and build a big tent. And Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5 says, he builds the tent on what he saw at this meeting. And we're going to get into that tent and why it's so special in a bit. But he saw the heavenly realities about what this little tent is a copy of. The reason I wanted to, I just wanted you to join me in picturing Moses peering into these things. Isn't that a sight? I hath not seen nor ear heard. Ah. Anyway, we come to the crescendo, which is a tragedy. Something tragic happens, and it happens in world history. And the Bible repeats it from this moment on. And if you're not a Christian listening, it's tragically your problem as well. The angel, the son, leads people to the father. And the message is, come when I say. On my terms, you're going to meet my father. I am the way, the truth, and the life type talk. Right, when the horn blows, you trust me and we'll go. Otherwise, this Lord says, the Lord's going to break out against you. All right, you're going to get shot off the walls. He doesn't say, I'm going to break out. He says, that Lord is going to handle you in the wrong way. But, and here's the tragedy, the people shrink back from God. And that is how the chapter finishes. Only Moses and a few people in a couple of chapters' time actually go up and find life and have communion with God. So here's Jesus calling to the world. You want to meet God on my terms? It's the same in Exodus. It's the same in the middle of the Bible. It's the same in the 15th century. It's the same now. You Come on my terms and you will live. Stop the Sinatra doing it my way, says the angel of the Lord in this passage. When I say it's safe, come and you will live. Why do they stay away? I think that's my final question. Well, the English in Exodus 19 is a bit confusing as to say why did they not come. But thankfully... In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses gives the behind-the-scenes reasons why this happens. And I'm going to read two verses to you. It's the problem of humanity. And here it is again. Deuteronomy 5.23. When you heard the voice out of the darkness while the mountain was ablaze with fire, all the leaders of your tribes and your elders came to me, and you said, The Lord our God, He has shown us His glory and his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today, we have seen that a person can live as God speaks to them. And here's verse 25, the next verse. But, why should we die? This great fire will consume us. We'll die if we stay by God any longer. Did you see that? What an unbelievably divided, confused heart. We've seen that you're so kind to us and you've been great and your life, glory. But why would we come? You might kill us. You might not be safe. We don't trust you. And so Deuteronomy is all about the divided heart. My friends, as we wrap up, 
This is God's people, yet again saying, I'll do it my way. I don't quite trust that you're safe. People don't trust the Lord, and they don't come. So when Jesus says to us all this morning, come to me, and I will introduce you to things unbelievable with God. Come through me. I'll make the Father safe and warm the source of your life. You've got to die to your own way. Don't go through the window. Come through me, as he did here. Children have written it on their paper. Will you go up? Now in our seats as we're listening, maybe for the first time or the hundredth time, will we come? The last verse I'm going to tell you is what happens when we miss out on knowing God. This is what the people missed out on in this chapter. In Romans chapter 8, it says this, The Father did not spare His own Son. He gave Him up for us all. How will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? My friends, this Father that people are backing away from has sent His very best to die our death on Calvary. And if He's done that, He can handle our Monday mornings and our Tuesdays and our sin and our anxieties and our unemployment and our death. We can come. And that's history of Christianity. We trust the Father. We follow the Son in the power of the Spirit. Amen.